Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hello, everyone. You are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. This is episode 61. It is Monday, October 28th, 2019. And as many of you may know, I am currently writing songs about every movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What? So we have Captain America this week and Captain Marvel. Next month, we're doing Iron Man. I'm going through all of them. And the only way you can hear these classic bangers is to sign up at patreon.com slash mclars. This episode is brought to you by the following Patreon Larsians. Shout out to the new ones, Ryan Egan, Jonathan Gold, and Christopher Wiley. And big shout outs to the OGs, Mike Russo, JP12, and Axton Collar. Thank you all very much for supporting me keeping this going. So the great Luke Ski is someone I've always admired and enjoyed his work. And uh, he's one of the first people, internet musicians that kind of gave me any love and support when I started out when I was a high schooler even. I was on the Weird Al Usenet forum back in the Usenet days in the 90s doing my old school Lars Horace stuff. And I posted, hey, any advice for a Weird Al inspired artist? And Luke responded and helped me get on Dr. Demento and was always there, sent me his CDs, was always super kind to me. And I love Luke because he has helped so many people. He's helped establish the FUMP, the Funny Music Project, which I've talked about on this podcast. He's a good guy. His stuff is funny and unique. But as with many artists, Luke is someone who I feel like never got his due from the music industry. People know him, especially in the Dr. Demento world. Like he is the most second most requested artist after Weird Al on Dr. Demento, which is kind of cool. But it's not been an easy road. And it's not been an easy road to anyone who dedicates their life to indie music, especially nerdy music, especially the subsection, the Venn diagram of nerdy comedy music. I think Luke Ski does some great parodies, some great medleys. He has a few great videos, but he talks about on the podcast how he felt like he was a little too late for the old school model of the music industry and a little too early for the YouTube Instagram generation. But I love Luke. Check out his music and uh, check out this interview on the MC Lars podcast. Luke, I love you, man. Thank you for being on the show and thank you everyone for your support. Here's my interview with the great Luke Ski. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here with the legendary comedian, cartoonist, singer, performer, artist, a man who I've been a fan of for years from Madison, Wisconsin. I'd like to welcome not just Luke Ski, the great Luke Ski to the MC Lars podcast. Luke, you live in L.A. now, right? I'm here with MC Lars from all over the place. Every time I contact you, every time I contact you, you li- you're living somewhere else. What is your deal, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for 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 having me here. I'm I, I'm a oh, I, I've, I'm I'm busy trying to you know find work in the animation industry out here in Burbank, California, uh, and um, like like you said, I'm originally from Wisconsin. Uh, spent most of my life out in the Midwest, but uh, for uh, back in 2015, I came out here. So now I'm out here. Worked uh, in the animation industry on a show for three years, which I'm sure we'll get into, and uh, then that show ended, and now I'm uh, just trying to get by, uh, lift driving, doing freelance work, trying to find a full-time gig, and occasionally, you know, making a funny song or two, sometimes in the hip-hop vein, so, you know. 
it's it's like a ner- it's like a nerdyish kind of hip hop. You might have heard of it. Do you, do you know? Have any idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> and you've been doing this for a while, haven't you? Well, let me put it to you. I I, I thought of a new um a new uh, wise aphorism that uh, could possibly be spread or put on the t-shirt and sold. It's up to you or up to me because I thought of it. Um, creators gotta create. <laughs> so so like you know even if. For whatever reason, you know, let, let's say, let's, you know, I'm out here struggling. I'm trying to get the bills paid. And somehow somebody came along and said, hey, uh, you know, some friend said, you know, oh, there's this job that you could do. Uh, it's like a cubicle office job it has nothing to do with creativity, but you could do it, work 40 hours a week and get your rent and bills paid. I would jump on that immediately as a responsible adult, but I would never, you know, in my spare time at home, I would never stop creating stuff. And, and whether that meant, you know, it got me, you know, glory and fame and riches and all that stuff, like, wouldn't matter. I would still be creating. I mean, I've been creating my whole life. So so, so it's like, while I do, you know, in the past and, you know, currently from time to time have ambitions to try to put stuff out there that I want to be successful, that I want the world to hear, or at least a specific bubble of the world to hear, you know, and see like, hey, let's see if this takes off and goes viral or whatever. You know, sometimes... I make things and I'm hoping that happens, but I know that, you know, it pretty much hasn't happened to me yet. <laughs> and uh, I'm just doing my best to not let that keep me down and just keep making stuff. Cause as I said on one of my albums, or actually I had Whimsical Will say it on one of my albums a long time ago, uh, Luke Ski is his own target audience. So I am making songs that I think should exist because I want them to exist and nobody else got around to making them yet. And the Fump, so many of you might know, is the Funny Music Project, and this is a platform that you've used to help a lot of artists, right? So, something about something that I dislike about what's currently happening in society is that the word "nice" has been kind of dragged through the mud lately by people using it who are, you know, in reality not nice. So now. Other people have kind of said, oh, if you see somebody describe themselves that nice, that's a code word for they're actually a jerk, to put it politely. When I when I was growing up, I, I could very easily think or say out loud to somebody, I'm a nice guy. And now if somebody's out there referring to themselves as a nice guy, that's like, you know, a red flag. Like, oh, well, he actually has, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, alternative motives and, and, and you know. Uh, evil intentions and the nice thing is just like a smokescreen. It's like, so I hate that I can't use the word nice anymore, but, you know, going back to its old definition, it's like, you know, I get, well, I guess the new word is like, you know, just decent, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, just be a good person, be nice, you know, be helpful. It's like, you know, I, I, I could never understand why, uh, why, you know, people would, you know, First of all, intentionally be jerks or mean or bullies to other people for, you know, no reason whatsoever. And secondly, it was just, I don't know, it was just the way I was raised. I had an older sister, two younger brothers, you know, a very, you know, supportive mom and dad. And I was just raised like, hey, you know, you know, be cool to people, you know, do stuff with them, you know, play with them, share with them, have fun with them, create with them. And, you know, that's, you know, I spent my life trying to find like either you know, uh, a partner or, or a group of friends to, you know, create kind of a very specific type of, uh, you know, creative, um, 
what's the word for it? Uh, I know there's a fancy, I went to art college. I should know what this word is off the top of my head. But anyway, but just like, you know, uh, once the, once the internet became a thing, cause I'm very old, once the internet became a thing, um, and due to circumstances, uh, and, and the Dr. Demento show, I was able to meet people like Devo Spice, Shoebox of Worm Quartet, uh, Insane Ian, uh, Tom Smith, The Gothicals, uh, MC Lars, and lots of other people. It's like I was finally able to connect a- across the country with all these people who had the same kind of mission statement as, hey, we really like this subgenre of doing comedy songs, uh, whether they are song parodies or whether they are original songs. Uh, you know, I mean, of course we love making videos, but that to us is like the second step. The first step is creating the audio, creating the song and making it funny and making it sound, you know, high quality. And, uh, you know, just, um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, trying to make it clever, funny, and cool. Uh, and so we all kind of got to know each other via the internet, via fandom of the Dr. Demento show. And then, uh, a bunch of us, um, it wasn't. It wasn't initially my idea, but I was part of the initial group that started it. Started the Funny Music Project, which is a group of us from the Doctor Nemeno Show who decided uh, to follow Jonathan Colton's uh, model of him doing that thing a week uh, thing. And we even uh, went to him and said, "Hey, do you care if we uh, straight up jack your business model?" <laughs> and he's like, "No, please straight up jack it. That's why I did it. I want everyone else to do it." So. <laughs> So we started the Funny Music Project, or for short, thefump.com, where uh, this enclave, I think that's what I was the word I was looking for before, this enclave of, you know, what started as a handful of funny music artists, which has now grown to, and I counted the other day, 157 different acts, all, diff- all posting new comedy songs to our website every Tuesday and Friday. Occasionally we sneak, sneak an extra one in on a Sunday. Uh, every week since January of 2007. So we have over 1,300 songs in our library that everyone can listen to for free. The eight most recent songs are downloadable for free, MP3s, and then after, you know, a new one gets posted and the eighth one gets knocked into our archive, you can still listen to it for free, but if you want to own it, you have to buy it for like 99 cents. And we put all those same... Every two months, we collect them into an album, which we release on a CD for our subscribers, um, for those who choose to be paid subscribers. And then we take those albums and we put them on iTunes and everywhere else so that people can find them in all those great places. But, you know, if you go to our website, you know, once a week or so, then you're going to get them first before the rest of the world does. So anyway, so that, that you, you have just witnessed Luke, uh, plugging something where he didn't necessarily mean to, but it just flowed into it. Cause that's how naturally I promote stuff. So that's going to happen a whole lot during this podcast, everybody. Um, so I, I, I put that plug in there to explain what the FUMP is because the overall point is a whole bunch of us that were like-minded got together to create something that we could all have for each other and to share with the world and to reach out there and try to find new artists uh, who we haven't heard of from other bubbles of the internet that we haven't heard of. This one time, I, you know, when I was still living in the Chicagoland area, uh, you know, and I was, you know, drawing caricatures, you know, just trying to get by doing my thing. And I just saw like this ad for like Chicago comedy music festival. I, I don't, I don't remember if that was the exact name, but it was something like that. And I looked at this and I'm like, what, what? And then I went to their website and I saw a list of like, you know, three dozen names or so. And I only recognized 
two of them, you know, people from like far out of town. One was Kelly Dwyer, the other was Ron Paravoni. And I'm like, wait a minute. You mean there's enough other comedy musicians in the city of Chicago that they threw their own festival and I didn't even know about it or hear about it. And then I went to the thing and I, you know, I, I saw what was there and I said hi to my friends and I was just like, there, it just made me realize there are other bubbles of people out there making nerdy music, comedy music, nerdcore hip hop, you know, chip tunes. There's like so many bubbles out there that me and my friends who have been, you know, paying close attention to comedy music for 20, 25 years haven't even, we didn't, we don't know they exist. So it's like, we want to find them and see if they want to be part of the thing we are doing. So that's how we found groups like Flat 29 from England and this amazing duo from North Hollywood called the Library Bards who, uh, who, who do, uh, I could, I could just go on about how awesome the two of them are anyway. Um, so yeah, so it's like us kind of like, oh, you're an awesome person who we want to be part of our thing. And then we'll let them know, you know, we'll, we'll let them know about us and bring them into our site. Uh, 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 or sometimes randomly people find us and then suddenly somebody's submitting something. And it's like, whoa, who is this awesome, highly talented, funny person we've never heard of before. And then, you know, within a song or two, boom, it's like they're part of the thing. And yeah. And then we do uh, a couple of uh, live concert events each year where, you know, every six months, you know, all of us who have the time and the money can meet up in the Midwest and, you know, have kind of a big, you know, twice a year family reunion of comedy music makers and comedy music fans. And I'll plug those later. <laughs> so does it feel good to see your friends doing so well? I want to say I, I <laughs> contained with me, uh, contained within me is jealousy. And I try to hold on. It's like I, I, tr I try not to pretend it isn't there, but I try to turn at least most of it into, you know, sort of a positive jealousy. So, for example, um, <laughs> um, it's like, OK, I mean, I, I, you'll, you'll probably retell this story later. But, you know, once upon a time, I, you know, was just chatting, uh, checking out stuff online on one of the Dr. D groups. And there was this guy and he's like, hey, how do you get music on Dr. D? And I'm like, oh, you get music on Dr. D this way. And then I told him. And then a year later, uh, my my um, at the time wife, Stephanie, says, uh, do you know this guy? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, there's a video on our TiVo that just automatically downloaded there by this guy. So basically it's like me kind of standing there like, you know, like one second I saw a kid like building like a toy bottle rocket and then I turned around and when I turned around again, it's like, oh, he's built a space shuttle going into the stratosphere. Wow. Isn't that who, who, who isn't, isn't that great for him that he gets to be an internationally known touring hip hop nerdy star by the name of MC Lars Horace or just MC Lars, if you wish. So... <laughs> So it's like, so I sit here. It's I see I go out and I see you on tour with 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 Schaefer in front and 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 Megaran and all them, and I'm like, you know, I'm so happy for him. And then part of me is also like, I want to be on stage with them, ah, you know. But I'm it's like I'm happy for you, and I'm happy for all of my friends who are, uh, you know, like uh, uh you know. Like the library bards who I just mentioned, it's like they're they're getting booked at conventions like out in Hawaii that are like paying their way to go out there and you know doing all this super cool stuff and they're they're on shows on like you know Project Alpha and Geek and Sundry and and they're doing super cool amazing things and it's like I know like moments from now they're gonna end up you know breaking you know as big if not bigger than like you know all of you 
you know, uh, all of you, you know, kings of nerdcore, you know, the Mount Rushmore of nerdcore, you know. So, you know, it's like it's like I can see it coming for them. They're awesome. They're ju- they're just too they're just too damn good. They're gonna. Ah, uh, you know, and and luckily I can call you and I can call them friends of mine and and you know, be jealous of them but try to be positively jealous of them. You know, I I I try so hard to not be negative and 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 just be like you know and 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 I know that's within me. I know that's within all of us. It's 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 like it's like, you know, it's I'm wearing a t-shirt right now that has the word Star Wars on it. Big shocker. Uh and Star Wars is all about the choices you make. You can choose you can make every day. You can you can make decisions to be a a good, cool, nice, decent person, or you can choose to be uh, a whole of a certain variety. You can you can you can be a jerk. You can be you know something really negative. And who the kind of person you are depends on which path which path you choose. And I try and I struggle every day uh, to always choose the light path and not the dark path. Even though I know inside me sometimes there's like you know. So yeah. <sighs> so 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 yeah so sometimes because some, sometimes so sometimes it is frustrating to be like you know back when there was a lot of larger nerdcore events happening knowing that like oh I'm performing on like you know Sunday afternoon I'm not one of the headliners and like some part of me is like why am I how come I'm not a headliner I, I've been doing this since you know the mid 90s and no one else was doing nerdy rap in the mid 90s why you know so it's like yeah that's you know I I feel that and I just do my best to be like all right, you know, whatever, just keep creating. Creators got to create and, and, and celebrate the success that your awesome friends have. All your, all your friends who you know are nice, awesome people who are doing great, funny stuff and are incredibly talented and cool people, you know, celebrate them and, and put them, put them, raise them up so that other people can see them, you know? So, yeah. Are you proud of everything you've accomplished? Cause you've put out so many records, you've played so many shows. Like, how does it feel? My, I have a good friend, one of my, fans like going all the way back to like actually I want to say 1998 but I'm pretty sure it's earlier than that possibly 97 uh or earlier is a friend named Bill Putt from the Detroit area blasted Bill Putt so uh shout out to him shout out to Dementia Radio shout <laughs> shout out to the Pot of Destiny <laughs> um and Moonbeam anyway um so Bill Putt once said this about me that I was born with one foot in two different paradigms. Like I was born at, at exactly the wrong time. Like when, you know, so, 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 so basically one foot was all, was firmly entrenched in the old, you know, the old model, the old, like, Hey, records, record companies, we're going to sign you onto a label and then you'll get a record deal. And then we'll, you know, promote you and get your video on MTV and you'll be famous. And that was the old paradigm. And then the new paradigm of the I generation and download this song and the internet and, Artists are just going to put their music out there, uh, you know, either for free or for however, you know, really easy access. You know, people who are just being like, oh, yeah, BitTorrent my whole library. I don't, you know, I'm just trying to get my name known. And whether or not I get paid for it in the short term doesn't matter because if I get my name known, it'll lead to, you know, greater success that'll lead to other things that'll lead to me being able to make a living out of this or whatever. So I was born with one foot on each side of that chasm. And then the chasm kept getting wider and wider and wider until I fell into the chasm into a bottomless pit and was never heard from again. So, (laughs) so basically I was born either too early or too late. Like if I was born in the earlier paradigm, maybe I would have got a record deal. If I was born in the later paradigm, maybe I would have been, you know, uh, 
you know, a headliner on one of these nerdcore shows or performing at a different convention every weekend, you know, across the country because I got known as like, oh, he's the guy that does all these, you know, nerdy hip hop songs and song parodies about all this pop culture stuff. Wow, that's cool. You know, and then, you know, I'd have like the Comic-Con people and the Wizard World people and the uh, the uh, what's that company called? Pop something like, you know, like they would all be getting me you know, performing every weekend, you know, uh, paying my expenses and I'd be selling, you know, CDs and USBs and t-shirts and, you know, making a living that way. That's what I was trying for, for, you know, a good decade or so. And it never, it's like, I had some moderate success in the mid two thousands around 2005, 2006. And then as, you know, people stopped wanting to purchase physical media at shows, you know, uh, uh, you know, Apparently, I'm not good at the t-shirt business, let's just say. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it's like I, I was just making less and less money at all these shows that I was, you know, get, trying to get myself booked at. And as more time went on, it, I just started needing to do less and less conventions because it was just costing more out of pocket. And uh, and then a different opportunity came along for my life. Uh, and And then... While I never stopped making funny music, uh, I, I, my my main creative focus shifted, but I, I still try to put out at least a good, you know, uh, three or four songs a year. And I haven't put an album since, a collected album since uh, uh, August of 2014, but I am really hoping in the not too distant future I can finally put out the next full, you know, Lukeski album. But all my all my new music has, is up at you know, the thump in my band can't page and stuff. So it's not like it's hidden, <laughs> you know, it, it's just that uh, I, I'm old school in the, in the notion that like, I like albums. I like, it's like when I make this album, I don't care if I only make 10 of them, I'm going to make 10 CDs so that I can have a CD of this album, <laughs> you know, and put it on my shelf and then, you know, sell the other nine to the nine fans I have. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's a, you know, but, but yeah, and then put, and then of course put it up on, on my Bandcamp page and, and let people buy the album and, and yeah. So, so, wow, I went, that went, I went off on a tangent way longer than I expected to there. Um, but yeah, we, st- when we started the Fump, we were hoping that maybe, you know, cause it was 2007 back then, you know, like maybe we'll get discovered by some larger entity, some larger web presence or some other media company that would like want to you know, bring us into their network and get us a larger platform and, you know, bring us all fame and fortune and, you know, uh, you know, you know, help, help the whole group of us make it bigger. And that pretty much never happened. I mean, we, we have, we have the incredible, incredible support of Dr. Demento and his show. And he has a fan base listening to his show every week of, you know, at least in the thousands, uh, I'd have to assume. Uh, but, and he plays our songs. He plugs, you know, the com. He plugs our individual websites and he's super supportive. But outside of Dr. D, um, you know, the Fump never took off as a huge, huge thing. But it did turn into this, you know, this enclave of creative people who all have the same mission statement of making funny music. Uh, and, and, you know, for the most part, we all get along with each other really well, like a family. And like I said, we get together twice a year and all year long, we're still making new songs and supporting and selling each, you know, everybody's art and, and songs and videos and whatever else we make. So, 
Okay, so do you consider yourself more a comedian or a musician? I consider myself a comedian by nature, no matter what it is I'm doing. It's like, you know, I'm, you know, and I, and I consider comedy an art. So I, I, you know, you know, comedy is an art. So I'm an art, I'm an artist and I'm a comedian. And I'm also, you know, I'm also an artist in the sense that I draw and <laughs> I create that type of art as well as, you know, music and, and other things. But Anyway, the point is that, you know, comedian is, is, is kind of like in my head, I'm kind of like first and foremost, I'm a comedian or whatever. Uh, and I've been I've been like a huge fanboy of comedy, you know, my whole life ever, you know, starting with like Jim Henson and Sesame Street, you know, all the way through, you know, George Carlin and all of his albums. It's like I like the entire spectrum of comedy, whether it's, you know, uh you know, whether it has, you know, whether it's G rated or R rated, you know, or beyond, it's like. I, you know, I want to experience it. I might not, you know, like all of it, but, you know, I tend to like a lot of things and I consider everything like a learning experience. It's like, okay, here's how, here's how to be funny, you know, that, uh, you know, kids ages six to 11 can watch and parents don't have to worry about it. And then here's how to be funny doing a sketch comedy album with three of your friends where you're allowed to be as filthy and, you know, uh, and, and, and line crossingly. R-rated as you wish, you know, so, and I've had equal amounts of fun doing both. So, um, but back to the comedian thing, um, Bob Goldthwaite once said in an interview that comedians are people who have this large hole carved out in their soul, like something just ripped something out of them. They have a huge hole in their soul and they have, they spend their entire lives trying to fill that hole back up with the laughter of other people. And that's why. Comedians in particular, you know, keep going back to the stand-up stages and keep going and endure the heckling and endure the all the crap you have to endure to be a professional stand-up comic. And I think I think I think that applies to so many other people. It's like there's something in them that there's a hole that needs to be. Oh God, that sounds so. No, <laughs> there is there's something in them that needs to be fulfilled that makes them <laughs> need to go back and keep it and keep trying and, and, and keep making stuff. And even if it's just for themselves, they got to make stuff. And I've something I haven't done enough of lately in life that I, I finally realized is that I had, you know, I love drawing and uh, you know, for a period of three years there, you know, drawing was my literal day job, but you know, but the notion of just drawing for myself for fun is something I lost a long time ago. And I, I cause I just wasn't doing it anymore. Uh, and recently I have been trying to make time for myself, even in my schedule of trying to, you know, stay afloat out here to take some time out and do some artwork on my Cintiq and then post it on, you know, my Tumblr and Twitter and Facebook and just let people see, you know, this is the art, you know, Luke's you know, art of the day and then put the date and then this is what I drew today. And sometimes it's a comic, you know, that's a joke. Sometimes it's just, you know, something meant to you know, be a mirror of how I'm feeling that day without any specific explanation, you know, but it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a way to, it's a way for me to express myself. So I, you know, so, so the, the thing that's in me, um, is just, you know, I was just inspired at a super young age that I wanted to put myself out there and be creative and, you know, uh, you know, I saw the Muppets and I saw like the Charlie Brown cartoons and I saw the Walt Disney animated features. And I was like, 
you know, I want, you know, I want to make stuff like that. I want to put myself out there. I want to do things. And ever and since early grade school, I was like putting myself out there and letting everyone know I want to do stuff. Plus, you know, and I'm, I only say this because it's part of the story. I was, you know, uh, I taught myself how to read when I was like two. And, and, you know, by the time I got to kindergarten, like after half a year, they were like, okay, we have to bump him up to first grade. He's, you know, the, he, he obviously doesn't need this level of education at this point in his life. And then even in first grade, I was still like straight A student kid. And I'm still out there being like, Hey, I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to do a puppet show. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So by the time it got to be about third grade or so, I think that's when the uh, other people, you know, saw me doing things and decided, Hey, you know what? I think I'll punch that person a lot. (laughs) Why they, why they chose to punch me. I don't know. You know, and it's like, I could I could try to blame myself and be like, well, maybe I was being too obnoxious. And it's like, I was in third grade. It's like, <laughs> I should be allowed to be excited about myself and my cool little creative projects in third grade and be able to express that. But other people, you know, it just basically from third grade through the end of high school, just 10 years of getting, you know, mocked verbally and beaten up physically. And, and I you know, I, I, I didn't let that stop me from doing the things I wanted to do. It, it hurt and I was hurt and it made, you know, and I cried and I suffered and I got scars and those scars are still there today. And, but, you know, I got through it and then I got to college, you know, where everyone said like, Oh, you're going to college is the real deal. You're going to art college. You're going to make lots of friends in art college. And I made uh, pretty much no friends in art college. The only friends I really made there were, people I met at this improv club I was working at. And of those people, I still wasn't like cool enough to be one of the cool kids of the improv groups. And I made like one really good friend there who is still my friend today. In fact, he's living out here in the LA area so I can hang out with him once in a while. Uh, But like there was kind of this whole, you know, I was still, you know, I was still a misfit on the Isle of Misfit toys. You know, I was still never quite fully fitting in. Um, And then I was, you know, out there trying to date. I had relationships and I ended up, you know, getting dumped the majority of the time. Uh, you know, um, I, I have a pretty good, I, you know, I'd like to say like a, a, a 95% track record with saying good friends with, you know, the women who I have dated, um, in particular, my, uh, two ex-wives and, uh, another friend of mine who, uh, uh, you know, she and I broke up, but we still make comedy music together. And in fact, she uh, got herself a husband and had herself a kiddo. And me and that kiddo, uh, before I moved out here, I was babysitting him every week. And, and you know, when I go back to the Midwest and visit, I always make time to go see them and hang out with them and, and have a fun time. So it's but, you know, the whole point of me bringing that up is that, you know, there are, you know, there were hurt feelings and scars from those relationships. And some of them are scars based on the fact that I knew I did wrong. You know, I, I made mistakes. I was uh, selfish or whatever. And, you know, so it's kind of me scarring myself saying, you know, you messed up and you need to have this scar. So you, you remember never to mess up again. So, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's just like, you know, it's just the struggle you have your whole life, you know, when you're a creative person and you're dealing with, you know, (laughs) what starts out as external forces telling you, you know, 
either either physically punch 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 or verbally it's like you should stop it you should be ashamed of yourself you shouldn't be proud of yourself you're a, you're lame you're a loser you know how the how dare you have the audacity to put the words the great in front of your name you egotistical jerk you know blah 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 lots more naughty words that would get the explicit tag blah 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 you know so hearing that for decade upon decade upon decade and then at, you get to a point where it's like, maybe they are right. Maybe I am a bad person. Maybe I should, you know, feel this way about myself. Oh, my God, look at these women I've been in relationships with and how I wasn't 100% perfect with them and I ended up hurting them. And, God, I really should, you know, beat myself up over this and, and you know, hold on to all of that stuff all those people said all those years ago. And 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 so, you know, I, I've been dealing with, you know, anxiety and depression. And recently I found out I was diagnosed with ADHD, uh, which, you know, after the di- I, for years, I'm like, no, I don't have that. I don't have that. And then after I was diagnosed and I looked at myself and I'm like, of course, I've had that. I've, this is the way I've been my whole life. So it's just, you know, um, the, the hardest thing I've uh, the hardest thing in my life right now. It's like I could write, I could write, uh, I could do, you know, it's a fanboy Christmas part four. I could do like, you know, a, a 10 minute long medley of, of Christmas standards about all the stuff that's happened in fandom since I put out part three in 2011. I could write that today in like the, a matter of hours if I just sat down and did it. That's easy. You know what's hard? Me learning to love myself and me learning to forgive myself for, either things I actually did in the past or convincing myself that all those bad things people said about me aren't true and that I am a decent human being. It's that's hard. <laughs> it's it, comedy is easy. Dying is hard. I don't know. <laughs> that's the opposite of the way this, this, the saying goes. But anyway, um, it's, that's just, you know, the path my life has been on. And um, uh, I, I had uh, the great, fortune to be given this amazing opportunity by a friend of mine to spend three years fulfilling a lifelong dream uh, out here in the Los Angeles area. And, uh, and then after that job uh, came to its conclusion, you know, I've been unemployed since then for the past like year and three fourths. So I've had to become a Lyft driver in order to get by and uh, look for freelance work and continue to look for, uh, you know, a full-time job in the animation industry and it gets me down because, you know, it's, it's uh, the fact that I've, you know, submitted, you know, seven different uh, uh, storyboard artist tests in the past year and all of them have rejected me. And, you know, uh, I mean, I have had other successes. I've gotten freelance work. That was really cool. Uh, So it's like, these people saw my work and they're like, yes, we're hiring you for, you know, this, you know, four week project or whatever. So, you know, it's like, it's not all bad, but, you know, I'm currently uh, probably the brokest I've been in my adult life and, uh, you know, uh, just struggling to get by. And, and that means that, you know, I have less time and money to create songs with or to make artwork with or to make videos with or whatever. So, you know, it's it, it stinks. But, you know, like I said, creators got to create. So even in this situation, I'm going to figure out how to create something that I have the time and the money to do until I find another full-time job, you know, get back up on my feet a little bit better financially and put out, you know, some more new songs that would, 
you know, lead to me finishing up this album I want, I've been wanting to get done for years. So, uh, not to mention other projects that I could go into, but I won't. So, so yeah, so like that's, that's my hardest struggle is, you know, I mean, there's the practical struggles of life of, I need to find a job. I need to lift drive X amount of hours per week to make sure my rent and bills are paid. And then there's the inner struggles of, I've spent my whole life hating myself because of things other people didn't said. And because of things I'm internally, you know, saying to myself and, you know, you know, I've, I'm trying to turn a corner and basically (laughs) as, as the great poet once said, we're not going to take it anymore. And, (laughs) you know, uh, and, and, you know, demolish that machinery inside my head that keeps, you know, because I'm the one that's keeping it going. All those bullies and all those people who were jerks to me all those years ago, you know, telling me to be ashamed of myself for, you know, how dare I show up at this convention in the Midwest where all of these acoustic people are playing acoustic instruments. And there I am doing my Cypress Hill parody about Pinky and the Brain. I'm doing hip hop music in there. You know, how dare I, you know, feel bad for yourself. You need to change your act. You need to do something else. You need to not bring props and costumes and electronic music and, you know, be up on a stage rocking a mic. You need to be sitting down in a chair, you know, and, 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 you know, being, you know, meek and quiet like a mouse and, you know, do songs about literature and not about, you know, uh, Seinfeld (laughs) or whatever, you know? So, so yeah, it's like all those people who were, who said that stuff to me years ago, they're all gone. So who's making me feel bad about myself? It's me. And I need to stop it. Cause you know, I, I, I'm a, you know, the, 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 my persona amongst my friends is that, Oh, Oh, he's the great Luke He has a big ego. He's always plugging his own stuff. And that's just a persona. The real me doesn't think that very highly of me. And, you know, uh, but I, I'm, I'm trying to put a stop to that and I'm trying to make a change so that I can feel like, Hey, I deserve to be out here. I deserve to make funny stuff and, and, say like, yeah, I'm really good at what I do. You know, I am awesome. I've had, <laughs> okay, now I'm bragging. <laughs> now I am bragging for the purpose of making a point. Um, I have had five number one songs of the year on the Dr. Demento show. <laughs> There's only one other guy <laughs> who's ever done, who, who has had, had more number ones than that, uh, and he plays the accordion. You might know him, Lars. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I've, I've won three Logan awards. I've, you know, I've done, it's, 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 you know, okay. I won't keep the list going, but like, you know, I have done a lot of really cool, amazing things, uh, and, and pulled off a lot of stuff that, you know, some people thought was never going to happen. It's, I remember at the, uh, the, the, the third Mars con that I did where it truly was like them letting me like program stuff and start what eventually became known as the Mars kind adventure track. And I remember being on the side of the room, uh, what year was, would this have been like 2005? Uh, and, and Stephanie was there and like one of the actors on stage doing their songs. And then there was a whole crowd of people in the room watching and laughing and cheering along. And I had finally created this space where my friends from the Dr. Nemeno show could go to a sci-fi convention, get on stage and perform their comedy music for an audience that wanted to hear them with professional mics and professional speakers and a real stage and real chairs. And I just walked up to Stephanie and Stephanie looked at me and said, you did it. You actually did it. This thing I had been talking about wanting to exist for years. I made it exist. 
And I brought my friends in it, into it, and I brought my more, more of my friends into it, and more of my friends into it. And this past MarsCon, it was the 16th year of us doing MarsCon. So the MarsCon Dementia track. So it's like, you know, I'm, it's, it's, you know, my, like my, I'm, I'm seeing therapists. I am taking medications. I'm doing my best to, you know, trust in my circle of friends. And of course my family, who's like the most supportive family in the world and, you know, believe them when they tell me that, you know, I'm a decent person and that I'm, worthy of loving myself and respect, respecting myself and being proud of and celebrating the positive things I've achieved. And that if anyone else, you know, is out there still belly aching or pointing at me as being as someone like, Hey, you shouldn't be that way. Um, as my late father would say, uh, and I'm going to change the way he says it. Um, F <laughs> <laughs> you know, those people who uh, are, uh, you know, as long as I'm being a decent human being uh, and, and as long, you know, if I make a mistake and I hurt someone's feelings and I apologize sincerely, you know, and, and you know, they it, it's like, you know, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm not perfect. But, you know, when I do, I'll apologize. Uh, but beyond that, if somebody else is just mad at my very existence for me doing what I want to do, F them. I, I'm I'm me and I'm, I I got to keep going because creators got to create and I'm gonna keep celebrating the art form that I love and I'm gonna keep holding up my friends of the world who I love, uh you know, like the time when I convinced Doctor Demento to uh do a couple of episodes well mainly just one but he turned it into two, uh do 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 epis do a couple of your ep- of your show's episodes where the special topic of the week is uh comedy hip hop and he did it and. Uh, he waited for the second part, the second episode. He did, a, you know, he spaced them apart by a few weeks because that's the way he does things when he does topics like that. Um, in the second part, uh, he uh, specifically included a whole set of acts by Nerdcore acts that were suggested by me, uh, including Mr. MC Lars uh, and and many of his friends. So it's like, you know, I'm out there saying like, hey, Dr. D, uh, here's some really cool people you really should be playing the music of. Uh, check them out and and Dr. D, you know, really dug it. So So I know every subgenre kind of has these rivalries. Are there any rivalries within the fump? I like to think for the most part we're all loving kind people because it's like, you know, the you know, you know, uh, so many of them have similar stories to the one I just said of just like, you know, either either they're comedians looking for they're comedians looking for a place to express themselves without being, you know, uh heckled or or crapped upon or whatever because you know most uh comedy clubs don't want to book music acts unless you're just like a comedian who plays guitar and most music clubs don't want to book comedy acts because you know comedy based music acts because they're like oh well you know that's not going to sell tickets as much as you know any random you know band out there so you know we us in the comedy music community are kind of it's like, yeah, we're all facing the same problem. So it's like, you know, we're going to build our own community with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to build my own amusement park with blackjack and hookers. In fact, forget the blackjack. <laughs> or something like that. that I, I may have screwed up that joke a little bit, but that's basically how it goes. But uh, so it just seems like, you know, I can understand a tendency for, 
you know, some people, you know, and some fan bases being like, we're going to build this treehouse and only allow certain people in that we consider to be like the cool people or the correct people or the people we consider doing it the right way. And then kind of seeing other people, people having built their own tree houses and then like them having like beef wars with each other over, you know, what act is doing it right or what act is best or whatever. And, you know, us at the thump are pretty much like, you know, we got several dozen acts over here and we all kind of think we each other are awesome. And for the most part, we all pretty much get along uh, we, you know, so, you know, we're just, we're just sitting here. We're like with an open door trying to find more funny music people to bring into our thing. I mean, a great example of, okay. It's <laughs> Devo Spice did an amazing song this year. And I, this is at least partially bragging because I am one seventh of that song. <laughs> he did a song, actually, technically it was December of last year, but he did a song called spider versus, and it's about the movie Spider-Man into the spider verse. So, each, it's seven. The song has seven verses, each one for each main character of the song. So Devo Spice does the uh, Peter Parker, you know, the original Spider-Man the movie starts with. Then uh, he recruited uh, one-up of Creative Mind Frame to do the uh, verse for Miles Morales. And then after that, Insane Ian did the verse of Peter B. Parker the one who Miles meets later in the film. And then after that, uh, Bonnie Gordon of the Library Bards uh, does the verse of uh, Spider-Gwen, a.k.a. Ghost Spider. Uh, then after that, TV's Kyle, uh, Kyle Carosa, does the voice of Spider-Ham. Uh, then uh, Lex the Lexicon artist uh, does the voice of, um, wraps the part of uh, Penny Parker. And then last verse is me uh, as... Um, as spider noir. So I got to rap as Nicholas cage. So, so it's like, you know, each of us does, I think, I think it's 16 lines about the song and each one of us wrote our own verse, except for Bonnie Gordon, who, who was spider Gwen because she, her schedule is just insane. So Devo wrote her verse for her only because she didn't have the time. And then I helped her record it at my place and Devo put it all together. And this, this song came out so amazing and it's a collaborative effort between seven different people who were all like, yeah, let's get together and create something awesome. Like I, uh, and you know what it reminds, reminds me of? It reminds me of, uh, the tweet style you did with dual, with dual core where all you guys did the the twitter song you know uh with 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 you in front and and Schaefer and dual core and and i can't even remember all the people involved with that one but it was amazing it's one of my favorite nerdcore tracks is because it's like you all just kind of threw this together on the fly and it was great so so yeah so it um so and 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 so yeah, like in our little, yeah, we all, we all get along and in our little, and that's the other thing I like about the Fump is that we have so many different musical genres there. I mean, we've got, we've got, you know, rock from like classic rock to contemporary, you know, sounding pop music. We've got country, we've got hip hop, we've got, uh, you know, alternative, we've got grunge, we've got psychedelic, you know, college rock, we've got, you know, occasionally we have skits, um, you know, uh, even though we're the funny music project, we occasionally throw a skit in there, a sketch in there. If, if, if it, you know, if somebody feels strongly about it or whatever. So, you know, but it's just like, it's like, we don't care what genre you do as long as the, you know, 
point of the song, as long as the part of the mission statement of your song is, I am trying to be comedic. I am trying to be funny with this song. We don't care what genre you do. As long as you're doing it well and you're funny and your recordings are of a good quality, like from an audio point of view, um, then, then yeah, it's like, cause we just, you know, we're not to sound elitist or anything, but we just don't want to post, post stuff on our main page. That sounds like somebody recorded it inside of a running, you know, dryer, you know, just kind of like, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, the, the, the tech is so the, the software and hardware is so cheap. Now it's so easy to get a good mic and, and get good recordings and get good music happening, you know? So it, you know, most people are submitting stuff that, you know, these days, you know, very seldomly do we ever hear anything that sounds that level of, you know, stuff where we'd say like, yeah, you should give this another shot before we uh, before we'd want to vote on this or whatever. But also at our site, we have a page called the Sideshow where anybody, as long as they're hosting their own MP3, can post anything they want, you know, uh, you know, without having to go through us for like, you know, permission or to be vetted or whatever. Uh, so it's like kind of a free a free a free playground for anyone to post their comedy songs. And then we also have our submit feature. So somebody who is new to us and has a song that they really think is high quality enough to get on the main page, along with the rest of the artists, they they'll submit it to us and the 10 people in the core group of the FUMP will listen to it and we'll kind of, you know, vote on it via using a grading system. And if the, the, and if the average of the votes, you know, is above a certain level, we'll say, all right, cool. You've, you've made it. We'll put we'll schedule a slot for you and put you on the page. And, you know, like I said, we're trying to find new people, you know, we don't care where they came from or, or what genre they're doing or, you know, what their background is, as long as they're trying to be funny and it's good and funny and, and, and the sound quality's there, then yeah, it's like everyone's welcome in, in our treehouse. <laughs> so, yeah. What did you think of Joker? Have you seen it? I really liked it. This is the thing about me and all entertainment of any kind. I tend to not go see stuff that I don't think I'm going to like. And when I, and when I see a thing, I tend to like everything I watch. I have very rarely made an effort to see a thing and then went, I really didn't like that. I, it, like the only example of that, and it didn't even you know strike me right away that I didn't like it so much. Uh, is the Pixar movie The Good Dinosaur. That's the only thing from like the past decade I can think of that stands out as like, wow, I was really psyched to see this thing and I saw it and in retrospect, it really wasn't too good. It's the only Pixar movie I don't own on Blu-ray. So, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And so so it's like, I, generally speaking, yes, I liked Joker. I, 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 I tried to basically view it through the lens of this is somebody trying to tell a story and leave like, you know, the external uh, other people's external opinions out of it, because that's what I do when I see anything, you know, for any if you know, when 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 Frozen 2 comes out. I don't care what other people's opinions are. I'm going to see it and judge it on my own merits. Uh, you know, ditto Star Wars Episode Nine. Ditto, you know, uh, yeah. It's kind of like it's like we live in a world where, like, I mean, uh, you know, I'm acting like this is a recent thing, but you can go as far back as '99 as like Columbine. It's like there's all these, you know, unfortunate. It's unfortunately we live in a world where there's lots of these people who feel justified going out and doing mass shootings and causing, you know injuries and death, you know, from, from, you know, you know, it's a, you know, at, at, you know, a country show in Vegas and, and, you know, grade schools in, you know, the, in the new England States, it's like, there's all these people and there's just this notion of 
somebody's out there just waiting for that message. Just, just waiting for that, you know, like Charlie Manson listening to the Beatles. Oh, I should kill a bunch of people? Okay. So the perception was that this movie about, you know, the Joker who is, you know, a villain, you know, <laughs> you know, when it comes right down to it, if you're going to, in the grand scheme of pop culture, hero or villain, you know, Joker is, not only is he a villain, he's like, pretty much the villain it's like who else are you gonna put next to him darth vader um it's like it's like what's what's the greatest villain of all time in pop culture it's you know yeah pretty much so yeah villain so this is a movie about a villain where we're seeing his story of how he became that villain or at least one person's take on it and every and and the perception going around seemed to be like this is a movie that's going to make the Joker out to be a sympathetic character and give justification to all these people in the world who feel that going out and doing incredibly negative things from either just being a regular old jerk to literally, you know, buying an AK and killing lots of people in a public place. This is going to be their justification. This is going to be their, you know, uh, their thing like, yeah, Joker, and then go out and do stuff, you know, that, that's, that's really horrible. That's, that was what everyone's, or a, a large section of the population was saying that's what this movie is about and we shouldn't support it. And I went and saw it and I'm like, oh, this movie isn't saying that at all, you know? So, you know, and, and again, I don't want to say what that movie was saying because I don't want to give away spoilers, but, you know, that's, th- that was not the point of what this film was, uh, at least to me. Do you, do you, do you agree with me or are my way off base here? I think, well, I think the Joker is a really sympathetic character in that the movie is really about mental illness, and I really like the 1970s vibe. Especially, okay, there's there's one part of that movie that is specifically meant to visually look like a reference to something from American, something that was a huge part of American pop culture for at least 30 years. Robert De Niro is basically Johnny Carson. You know, it's like, yeah, it's it's the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and, you know, which was back in that day, back in when the comedy boom was happening, that was the ultimate. That was like, if you got on Johnny Carson and you did well, you had a career. Like, Drew Carey did one Johnny Carson and the next thing you know, he had this huge career or and so many other comedians I could name. So basically, you know, choosing to put the movie in that era and then having this Carson show set up and... And then having, you know, our character, uh, you know, who ends up, you know, calling himself the Joker, you know, he looks up to this guy so much. And then the guy ends up, you know, mocking him after seeing his set, you know, that was recorded at a stand up club. And then, you know, some agent decides to bring him on the show, you know, obviously to make fun of him. But he goes on the show knowing he's going to be made fun of. And that's where he really kind of, you know makes the decision to become Joker, you know, and all that stuff and to do it, you know, in like the most public of ways on the most public of shows where comedians are meant to be in the spotlight. And it's, you know, so, so just like putting it in that era and, and kind of using that as, as part of the, the greater canvas of what this film was, was like, wow, that was such a great way to do this. And on top. Yeah. So, so that was, you know, kind of, my takeaway from it, you know, but maybe I'm just a person who's old enough to see it through that lens, you know, because I grew up when, you know, the tonight show with Johnny Carson was still a thing. And, you know, I mean, yes, there was Jay Leno too, but Jay Leno did not have the cred that Johnny Carson had as far as like making a career goes, you know? So yeah. 
How do you think it fits into the DC canon? It's like uh, you can you can really v- view this partic- this particular specific movie as you know in in the in the actual comics world there are these you know there are one shot graphic novels where they go off on their own what if thing and it's like here's this artist or this writer's interpretation of this character and it only lasts for one book and then that's it and it sits on a shelf so it's like how many different people have played the joker how many different versions of the joker have there been and like this is this actor and this director and this writer's version of of telling a joker story and it's not meant to be some big grand statement writ as large as like, you know, everyone should be like this guy. It's like, no, we're just trying to tell a story here and we hope you enjoy the story. We hope you take away a message. We hope it gets into your brain and you think about it, but we're not trying to send some kind of nefarious message with it that justifies doing negative things. We're, we're telling a story and it's very easy for me to say that as a straight white cis male uh, person who was raised Christian and raised middle class, because I have, you know, a dump truck full of privilege and I'm doing my best to deal with that and be sensitive to all of the people in the world who aren't like me and, and watch myself and make sure I don't do things that make me, you know, (laughs) I don't want to make a mistake and 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 hurt someone's feelings. You know, like the thing I said earlier about screwing up and apologizing. It's like, I don't want to screw up. So I'm trying to be vigilant about that. And, you know, so it's, it's yeah. It, I, 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 again, I'm losing my thread here. But my I guess just what I'm trying to say is that, you know, it's like, we're we're, tr- we're tr- I think I think so many of us, and I think I think pr- probably every one of your listeners is out there trying to make this world a better place for literally everybody else in it, and we're all, you know, we all have our struggles, and we're all trying to get by, and we all just gotta stick together and 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 watch out for each other, and 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 care and be sensitive to what's you know the things that are happening to people that are in some way not the same way you are, and and you know. Again, be supportive and hold people up. So do you think that the Joker being a cis white dude kind of makes it so he has privilege and then that means we can't really sympathize with him? Kind of, yeah. And, and, and I know that it's like the, the Joker throughout the entire existence of the Joker for the past 75 years. Is it 80 years? I forgot how old Batman is. I think 80. It's like ever since the Joker's been around... His face, because he's a clown, his face is literally white. The color white. <laughs> you know, not peach colored. His face is white. So it's almost like, how, how more symbolic can you get by having this white-faced person out there becoming, you know, uh, you know someone who makes this, this version of Gotham City, which is basically New York City in this version of it, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, go the way it goes by the end of the film, you know, and... And I can understand why people would be would think like this is a really bad time for this type of film and they shouldn't be telling this type of story. And I, I understand that. But, you know, I I still went to see it because I wanted to see what this story was going to be and, and judge it on my own from my own point of view. Um, and, you know, uh, if, if I had thought that they had crossed the line and, you know, in some way, I would I'd be honest and say that. But I, I, th- I thought that the way the story went, you know, was, you know. It was people telling a story, you know, so. All right. Tell us about Mighty Magiswords. <laughs> so, yeah. So, as I said before, uh, you know, I'm an artist. I went to uh, the Kansas City Art Institute. I got a BFA in illustration. Plus, I've been a comedy nerd and a cartoon nerd my whole life, uh, you know, and uh, I started making comedy music, blah, 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 and the fump. Um, 
So I've always like when I went to college, I there was a, a comic strip I used to do back in the day uh, based on me and my friends. And I, I wanted to turn that into like an animated series because uh, this was back during the age of like the Simpsons had been on the air for a few years and then Ren and Simpy had started and then Beavis and Butthead had started. And, you know, eventually a few years later, South Park started, you know, so like this whole notion of. Uh, Ill King of the Hill, I should throw that into like creator based comedy animation for television was was becoming a thing and, and networks were figuring it out. And I'm like, I want to take this thing I've created and get my own show. So I need to go to a college that's going to teach me animation so I can start making my own animated film, you know, demo, you know, or pilot or whatever of this show I want to make so I can go around to, you know, so I can eventually take it out to uh, uh Hollywood or, or to studios or whatever and see if I can start, you know, either, you know, either try to get the show started or at least try to get in the industry and start working as an animator uh, and then try to get to that point eventually. Um, my college, uh, to make a very long, bitter story short, that's part of the dark side of me is thinking about what, this. Um, my college kind of pulled a bait and switch in me and they didn't. They, they lured me in claiming they taught animation. And then when I got there, I found out they didn't. So. Uh, I finished college just because I felt I should, um, and uh, I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in illustration, but by the time I got to that point in my life, uh, the whole Dr. Demento comedy music thing had, had really become my primary comedic focus, so, you know, the whole thing with my me making my comic strip a TV show basically took a, a backseat to me trying to create more funny songs and figuring out, figuring out how to become a, a bigger presence on the Dr. Demento show. Um, so, uh, sorry for this pause. I'm just, <laughs> um, so the point is, yeah, I, I, I started making funny music. The fump got formed, started making a lot of friends. We started pulling in people through this thing called the sideshow. And one of those people was a man named Kyle Carroza who performs under the name of TV's Kyle, uh, with his comedy music and his comedy music, um, is very, uh, he doesn't do song parodies. He does original songs, and they're just kind of some. Sometimes they're a bit more deliberately funny. Sometimes they're just kind of odd, like a "They Might Be Giants" kind of song. But you know, it's always you know this kind of high quality. You know, a lot. Sometimes it's very silly and just. And, uh, and the other thing is his um, girlfriend, who eventually became his wife, Lindsay, uh, aka Lindzilla, is also uh, frequently on these songs of his. So I became good friends with him, and uh, on our weekly podcast for the fump uh where me and devo spice will interview uh whoever posted songs that week um you know he would start coming on as he started posting more songs and you know once i learned like oh you're in the animation industry you you live in you know burbank wow that's amazing and i would hear about the shows he was working on like nickelodeon's fanboys and fanboy and chum chum and disney's fish hooks and you know he he was a, a layout artist on the second spongebob movie and all this stuff so every so it be, so it became an inevitable thing that every time Kyle appeared on that show, he and I would start talking about cartoons, and we just started when we just made a recurring segment called Kyle talk about tunes, and then Kyle and everyone was like, "Well, you guys just make your own podcast." So we did, uh, and then so in 2013 we turned it into our own podcast, and right up we're up we're, we do it every two weeks. We post a new episode where he and I talk about stuff in animation, uh, and we're up to like episode 155 right now, I think. So. Um, uh, so while right about the time he and I started doing this podcast, Kyle had been pitching who had he had been pitching shows for years to various networks. He did one that uh, actually got made into a pilot called Moobeard the Cow Pirate. 
Uh, so if you if you look for that on YouTube, you can find it. Uh, Billy West did the main voice of Moobeard the Cow Pirate, but um, uh, but he had been pitching other shows for network to networks for years and trying to get one to land, and he pitched one to Cartoon Network called Mighty Magiswords. Or to put it another way, Mighty Magiswords. And it's about a brother and sister in their early 20s named Vamber, who is the older sister, and Prohias, who is the younger brother, uh, who are adventurers in a medievalish kind of fantasy world. Their last name is Warrior, so they are the Warriors for Hire, and they go on missions to earn money. And the Magiswords are these magic swords, um, but uh, they aren't swords in the sense of like slash slash stab. They're more like giant magic wands that are shaped really funny and each one has a different magical property. Like there's one shaped like a dolphin. And if you swing it and point it at somebody, its mouth opens and a huge uh, barrage of water shoots out and like, like a, a, you know, a tidal wave like hits them. And there's another one with a tomato on the end of it. And if Vamber swings it and points it at someone, it shoots a giant tomato at their head and like, pfft, like covers their head. And they're in this universe. There's like 200 different magic swords. So, so kind of in-universe, it's kind of like Pokemon. Vamber and Prohias want to collect all the Magiswords, so they either go on quests to find them in hidden secret treasure places, or they go to what their universe's version is of the mall, to the one store where this creepy guy uh, sells Magiswords, <laughs> and they just buy them with the money they earn doing all their work. And they have a regular set of friends and clients and adversaries, Nobody on the show is really kind of a straight up villain, except for maybe, you know, one character, but it's, you know, but, but pretty much it's just kind of, uh, you know, just like them on these crazy, silly adventures trying to find all these swords. And, uh, he, it, the, the show started at Cartoon Network, uh, him working on it, uh, developing it with them in 2013 as a, whoops, I just bumped the microphone, uh, as a, uh, as a series of, uh, very short web shorts that uh, uh, that were like literally 15 seconds long that would appear on the Cartoon Network Anything app. Um, and uh, also uh, uh, they were making shorts for, um, uh, to put on, uh, to put on, uh, uh, you know, just the web that were these like three minute long, you know, quick little stories uh, that, you know, just kind of let us get to know the characters in the universe a little bit better than a 15 second thing would do. So they made the, like 30 of the 15 second shorts and they made 10 of the three minute shorts. And when I went out uh, for, to visit Kyle uh, out here in California for his wedding, when I was still living in the Midwest, uh, he showed all of us the 10 three minute shorts. And I'm like, this show is amazing and hilarious. And I absolutely love it. Um, and I was just like, you know, uh, so, you know, fascinated by it and fixated on it. And, uh, um, uh, and, and I ended up basically coming to him and, you know, as, as things kept progressing and I eventually, you know, went to ask him, would it be possible for me to in any way audition to be part of this show by either being a writer or an artist or just anything? Cause you know, I really think I could, you know, help you make this thing. And he basically said at the exact same time, I was, you know, I was going to ask you to try to submit something so that I could, you know, see if we could get you on this show. So it was like we were, we both, you know, and we were, we were both on the same page. So he gave me this assignment of, you know, doing basically the beginning of a scene, the beginning of a, of an, of an adventure, just a short scene where somebody shows up at the warrior's door wanting to hire them to do something. And I misinterpreted the instructions to some degree, and I ended up hand drawing a 200 panel storyboard uh, 
uh, of a story uh, that contained like virtually every character in the series showing up at least once. And also uh, it, the climactic scene had a song in it. <laughs> so then once, so it took me about a, like three to four weeks to draw all that up and write it up on like classic Hanna-Barbera three panel sheet paper. And then I scanned it as a, as a big PDF, all the sheets to s- send a big PDF to Kyle. And then I said to myself, you know, now that I've scanned this and I have all this recording equipment for making all these funny songs and I can do voices, I could just like record myself doing all the voices and edit together a really quick video animatic of my storyboard, you know, including the song part, you know, with me just kind of humming the background music, but then doing the voices over it and, you know, also submit this MP4 video of this to Kyle along with the actual thing I've drawn. So, you know, like, I, again, he told me to make a quick short scene at the beginning of a thing, and I gave him basically a nine and a half minute episode that had a song in it <laughs> with, with, a, with a backing track, you know, and, and yeah. So I, I, I sent this stuff to him and I said, OK, watch the MP4 before you look at the PDF. And his response was, Luke, you incredible weirdo. <laughs> and then uh, this part of the story I heard secondhand through somebody else later was that Kyle took that to his boss's. Uh, and showed them the MP4, and 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 you know, I, one of his bosses said this sentence to Kyle: "Hire him immediately before Disney and Nickelodeon finds out that he exists." <laughs> so, so, so basically, Kyle's like, "Yes, you're on board." Um, you know, so Kyle uh, and his wife Lindsay let me move into their side bedroom in their apartment and live with them for the first five months as we were working on a new set of five minute long web shorts that were uh, uh, 20 of those. And I got hired as the storyboard revisionist, but Kyle gave me, he called me the most powerful storyboard revisionist in Hollywood because most revisionists get a ton of very specific detailed notes on what they're supposed to do. And occasionally I did get detailed notes, but sometimes Kyle would just come to me and say, Hey Luke, the first 45 seconds of this episode, the, the beginning of it, I don't like, it and it doesn't work. Write a new beginning of this episode. And that's all he would tell me. <laughs> So, and and then I'd be like, okay, it takes place in this location. Is it okay if I work in this character? Sure, why not? And then I would go off on my in my cubicle, and I'd come up with something, and I shared it with him, and you know, and he was like, this is great, you know. And then, you know, in that particular instance, I'm I'm referencing one of Kyle's bosses when they got the 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 uh, the scratch version the animatic of the episode. Like, you know, he thought that opening scene was so funny. He kept rewatching it over and over. And then he came down to my cubicle to tell me how funny he thought that scene was. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm creating stuff that people at cartoon network think is really good. I can't believe this. So, so that was like an amazing, you know, four months of my life. And then we were waiting to find out, are they going to eventually green light this to be a full on TV show? And then by around August, I can't remember the exact date, they, August of 25th, August of 2015, they said, yes, we're, green, we're greenlighting this uh, to be uh, a, a full, you know, 11 minute long cartoon show like all the other cartoon shows on Cartoon Network at the time, like Adventure Time and Steven Universe, etc. You know, we're making you a show. So at that point, uh, I had enough money saved up in my bank account that I was able to find an apartment out here and I got my own apartment and um, uh, they, I start and once that initial set of um, 
20 web episodes, the five minute long ones was finished and we went into production on the TV show series. They upgraded me from being a storyboard revisionist to just being a full on storyboard artist. And Kyle started hiring other storyboard artists. And uh, initially my partner was a woman named Zoe Moss, whose art style is wild and incredible. And then uh, at some point during the first season, we decided to switch things around and my partner became uh, one of Kyle's best friends, a guy named John Barry. And uh, and uh, then the whole rest of the series, I was with John Barry. So we did uh, 52 11-minute episodes in the first season. And uh, the second season was uh, 40 11-minute episodes. A few of them were two-parters. So, uh, so, in, so like, number-wise, I think they count as one episode. But it was still two 11-minute episodes put together. But, um, but yeah, so I got to be a storyboard artist. Um and then Kyle also let me pitch ideas, uh, which, you know, basically, you know, if it, de- depending on the exact circumstances, I did get writing credit for some of the series. So I was a storyboarder and a writer. And uh, because he knew that of all of my years of, you know, singing songs like Yoda or Pinky or Brack or whoever else, he knew that I could do funny cartoony voices. So he let me do voices on the show as well as a handful of the tertiary characters. So then I got to do voices and I got my SAG card that way. And occasionally one of the, like when Kyle felt it was necessary or thought it would be a good idea, episodes would have songs in them and I would get to write and write that song. And then, you know, sometimes and storyboard it into the episode. So I got to storyboard, I got to write, I got to do voices and I got to make comedy songs on the show, Mighty Magisword. So this was my lifelong dream come true job that I had always wanted. And I love this show. And I know it's very biased for me to say having worked on it, but I love this show more than virtually any other piece of pop culture that's ever been made. It's it, it, I love it so much. And they gave, they, when the show first came out, they, they did give us a, a really good launch uh, in the, in September of 2016 uh, with our first about 20 or so episodes airing. And then we kind of went away for a while then they brought us back July the following summer and aired like one new episode a day for the entire month of July because they had this new Magiswords app where you could kind of like it was like Shazam. If you held up the app to the screen and hit a button, you could, it would like listen to the episode and then based on whatever episode you were watching, it would give you a special sword that you could collect in your own little, you know, digital Magisword collection. Um, so they gave us that that kind of push in July. And then after that. Uh, we did get greenlit for our second season, um, um, and so we kept working on the show. I think there was like maybe a two week break in between the two seasons, um, uh, and uh, you know they had notes for us. They wanted us to dress in season two, and we did. And uh, we were all you know working on season two, hoping uh, that season three was going to happen. And as it happens in Hollywood, you know, in show business, uh, uh, you know, somewhere over, <laughs> somewhere somebody at 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 the network decided that they were not going to renew us for a third season. Uh, so specific, specifically, technically we were never canceled that we were just chosen. They chose not to renew us for a third season. So, um, so basically uh, by about February of 2018, that was when my part of the chain of people, you know, it's, it's kind of like an assembly line. It's like the part of the assembly line that I had to do came to an end uh, in you know early February of 2018, and that's how long I've been trying to find work. And uh, eventually, Cartoon Network did air all the rest of the episodes of season one and air season two. But season two, the, the last episodes of season two didn't air until 
sometime earlier this year and there really wasn't any like commercials advertising this fact. So basically, you know, I just kind of, you know, like, like myself and Kyle and other people who helped make the show are out there on our social media, trying to let people know, Hey, new magic sword episodes, you know, cartoon network this date. And then, you know, the next day, or, you know, sometimes they'd be available on the cartoon network website. Uh, sometimes unlocked. Sometimes you had to have a cable subscription, um, but after they aired, they would always the next day end up on like iTunes or Amazon or whatever. So people could purchase them and watch them if they wanted. And at this point in time, the first season and a half, about 70 episodes are all up on Hulu. So if you want to watch the first season and a half totally for free, if you got Hulu, uh, go to, you know, go on Hulu and just type in Mighty Magiswords. The uh, second word is M-A-G-I-S-W-O-R-D-S. So like magic swords, just take out the C and uh, magic and squish it together and make one word mighty magic swords and uh and you can find us and you can watch us and at the beginning of the episode if you see um you know storyboarded by luke ski that was one of the episodes i storyboarded and if at the end of the episode you see um uh you know uh in the voice cast list you know my name attached to a few characters uh the biggest ones i did were named uh scullivan docky and caddis uh I see a Nando. That was another one that appeared a lot. Uh, like that was, you know, I got to do voices. That was me. And I also did a bunch of kind of, you know, random monster number three, Rah! you know, I did, I got to do stuff like that too. So, so yeah, so this, this show was such an amazing experience and I, I loved it so much. And, Oh, my doorbell is ringing. This will be the most awesome, perfect cameo for this podcast. Hold on a second. Somebody was just filming a, a special across the hall. <laughs> Let's bring him over here, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, hey. It's 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 Mr. TV's <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Carosa, creator of Mighty Magiswords. Hi there. <laughs> okay. I'll take oh, wait. kitty. Wait, before before you go though, let's do how about a little uh a little a little cave weirdos? How about like Ooh, okay. So, hi. <laughs> Okay, so hi everyone. This is Scullivan. This is the MC Scullivan podcast. I'm interviewing Grupp. Uh, now, Grupp, I understand you have a new project you've been working on. Uh, could you tell us all about this uh, uh, this new album you're dropping uh, in the near future? Uh, <laughs> yup, it's called Grupp Jams. It's got like a Z at the end. Oh, I get. Um, and uh, it, of course, shows off my rapping prowess, which all are aware of due to the sheer amount of rapping I did in the television program Mighty Magic Yes, Yes, because uh, you are grump and you like to do things. The kids have been dropping those lyrics everywhere. Will you have uh, a, a special guest vocalist, uh, Lady Hiss, uh, on these fat tracks you're about to be dropping? Yes, because that's someone I know, and that's really all that's required to be on this album. Okay. Well, thank you for being on my podcast. I'm going to go pick up some of those beats that I dropped because you're making a mess of my nice clean couch. All right. I'm going to go stand by the water cooler and sigh very loudly because I'm just exasperated with everything. Yep. That surely is your character trait. I'll see you. Okay. This has been the, uh, the MC Skeleton Podcast, and I'm trying to make this about me. Okay. So Kyle's here because I'm going to help him with a cool project. So, uh, 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 yeah. So... But like I said, Mighty Magiswords, you can see some of it at the Cartoon Network website. But like I said, it's on iTunes, it's on Google Play, it's on uh, uh, Amazon. And and uh, the, f- the first, yeah, I said that before. I said that before, Grup. No, I said Sulu, I like Star Trek. Oh, okay. I prefer Chekhov myself. Um, <laughs> because of the nuclear vessels. Um, anyway. <laughs> 
this is what it's like all the time. By the way, have I mentioned that I have since moved into a building so that Kyle lives three doors down from me? <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yes. So, um, yeah, Hulu. I said that before. The first season and a half is up. Uh, check them all out. Mighty Mad Swords, yeah. And then as far as me, the great Luke Ski goes, go to lukeski.bandcamp.com. And pretty much virtually all my social media is, you know, the great Luke Ski, all is one word, uh, L-U-K-E-S-K-I. Uh, when you when you type it out completely, Luke Ski is two words. But, you know, uh, uh, for Internet purposes, it needs to be one word. And um, and yeah, and uh, if you feel like supporting me, I have a Patreon of my own. Uh, you could give me some monies and, and that that's always helpful. But generally speaking, I just want people to see and hear my stuff. So look at my videos on YouTube, listen to my songs at the Fump and on Bandcamp and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, love and joyful smiles to everyone. And especially Mr. Uh, Andrew Nielsen, a.k.a. MC Lars Horace, MKA MC Lars, one of the awesomest, nicest people I've met in my entire life. So there you go. <laughs> Thanks for being on, man. What should we end with? All right, let me do the setup, and then you can play the song. In October of 2012, it was announced that Disney was buying Lucasfilm for $4 billion. So everyone, all the fandom people, heads, their heads exploded and were like, wait, Disney's going to own Star Wars and Lucasfilm? What are the Star Wars movies going to be like that Disney's going to make? Uh, you know, and that was October 30th, 2012. By about... Uh, Mid-November of 2012, uh, I had whipped this piece together to show maybe this is what the Star Wars movies will be like once Disney controls them. And thus, I give you this piece. Uh, and the first line of the song is the title of the song. So there you go. <laughs> All the droids are void and full of gloom in the room. Welcome to our traveling desert dump, Owen, Lars, and Peru. Buy this protocol droid and this astromech, and we'll throw in wall E2. All together, the Utini Tini 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 Room, the Utini Tini 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 Room. Watch Pollyanna Jones and the Temple of Doom in the Utini Tini 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 Room. This is Tatooine, wretched hive of villainy. Better shoot first, or we'll be your last. In our bar, everybody's mean. On this planet, Tatooine. I am the guy betting on the pod race. Now I got hunt the collectors in my face. I am the guy who wants to cause Luke harm. Faced like a walrus and a newly severed arm. Lives on a mountaintop on Tatooine. In his youth, he once rescued a queen. Trained Anakin when he was just a teen. But couldn't stop him from becoming a machine. Obi-Wan Kenobi, stink up the foul frontier. Till talking lies, he called my bluff. All the rain is where I kept my stuff. Now it's debris. Can't believe he blew up my world. Those poor unfortunate souls. You back on the dune seas were tearing the seventies. This special. Oh!
Clone Wars, startling his martial art. Wheels four blades like a Cuisinart. art. Robot bones and scary eyes. Lightsabers that rain his thighs. Grim Grievous goes and kills all the Jedi's. Mr. Lord Vader, sir, who will my bounty be? Let me take your order, hunt them down. You ain't never had a fet like me. Ho, ho, ho! So don't start like this! I've got a fet in me. It's a trap, we fell right into their lap The Empire saw us coming soon, our ship will just be scrapped Shields down, watch us soar, Lando fly into that core Those brave Ewoks sure aren't yellow Maybe they got help from Willow Luke, I am your father, and so we are all connected in the circle of life I'll redefine the genre serial myth Oh, I just can't wait to be Sith. You've got a long way to go, my young apprentice. Remember Ashoka Tano? Your Padawan you called Snips? Yeah. Now realize she got murdered. <laughs> By my order, 66. What? You two are quite close, and that makes you sad. But don't feel that. Instead, get real mad. Embrace your hatred and see what happens. Get dark side power to choke your captains like your dead wife from Naboo. Qui-Gon, man. Solid Qui-Gon. The bare necessities of life will come to you. Me, Sir Jar Jar, after all. No! You threw off my groove. I'm sorry, but you've thrown off the Emperor's groove. You were saying no one blast them like hot smuggles, pass them like hot. No one slices a tauntaun in aspen like hot. You evade every loan shark and bookie. For your causes, I really don't care. You can see his co-pilot's a Wookiee. That's right, cause every last inch of him's covered with hair. No one pleases like Han. Garvin freezes like Han. Becomes decorative sculptural freezes like Han. And I killed Boba Fett without even trying. Who do we want? It's Han Solo, Solo, a smuggler's life for me. The king of the lightsaber swingers, I am the Jedi VIP. Till we got attacked, the Empire struck back, and that's why I live in a tree. I wanna be a Jedi master and get my ship out of that ditch. Well, do or do not, there is no try, and stop being such a whiny apprentice. Oh, <laughs> well, no duh. Well, no duh. I wanna be like Yoda. Yoda, Yoda, Yoda. A Jedi knight like Yoda. Yeah. Fight like Yoda. Yeah. So much. Really, really. You know a Jedi. A Jedi. Grace not these things. No, they don't grace these things. So scared you will with Kenobi while he sings. Hey. Dot new Conray, Max Remote to salacious crumb. Dang, I'm over fat boss, Sky G88, and four lump java bib for two, Nagoxin Oba. Honda Baba, Willila Sakura, Jandudana, Wizula Bonafar, Lobaka do the hot, Guillotine Monday, Lando Jango, Rido Wato, Boss Nass, baby. Tarbos Pabe Amadawa, Kipisto and Renarkar, Slice Noodles and Palpatine, and Wedge and Vix and Phone and Bean. Dexter, Jetster, Jokar, Chewbacca, Luhu, who are we? all wanna be like Luhu, how can you be you? I wanna spy like Luhu, fly like Luhu, I must warn you, Luhu, the dark side is tempting. 
like someone like me. Take me home, Daddy! Dad, learn to be like someone like you. One time more! Yeah, and learn to be like someone like me. Cad Bane, Zagazam, Wessel, and Windu, and Porkins, and Yen, Numb, and Droopy McCool, and... and Wait, who are you? <laughs> I'm your father now! No! Thank you, Luke. That was a great interview. Very creative, wonderful medley. And uh, I appreciate your creativity, your beautiful sense of humor, and your energy. Thanks for being on the show. This week, for the MC, MC Lars, Lars Patreon, Patreon Larshan, Larshan of, the, of week. the week, we have a man who was actually previously an MC Lars podcast guest. My guitarist, bassist, tour manager, Mike Russo, calls in and tells a funny story about the time we opened for T-Pain. Hey, Andrew. It's Mike Russo calling you. Uh, just finished up your really excellent interview with Aaron Tonkin, which I think was full of some outstanding advice for any of us that are trying to navigate these very untraditional lifestyles that we lead here in this world of music. But I figured that I would maybe try to chip in two things. One is that, related to that episode, uh, I think I agree with you that The Great Malenko is the best produced ICP album, or perhaps the biggest leap in production for them. But I would put a close second impossible uh, tie for best produced with the two bizarre, bizarre albums that followed it. Uh, or followed, I should say, the Amazing Jekyll Brothers, um, they really hold up. They really do. They hold up. And even if the content doesn't necessarily hold up, I mean, I guess they weren't IPC, uh, <laughs> so to speak, but the production styles hold up, and it still sounds pretty great today. Uh, anyway, on to the next thing. I will say that one thing we never really talked about, but I think is kind of funny, is the whole story behind... Uh, the intro track to Gigantic Robot Kills, uh, Where You've Been, Lars, there's a kind of a passing reference to this show that we did with T-Pain, where he infamously told us to move our drums, which is maybe even funnier because of a story that precedes it. Uh, when I was booking college shows, uh, we had a show with T-Pain and the band Jack's Mannequin, who's Andrew McMahon from Something Corporate, who is now uh, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness. And the school had looked at it as a co-headlining show, so equal billing for both, but they definitely wanted Jack's Mannequin to close. Um, T-Pain's crew had a really difficult time with the idea that they were not closing the show, and they caused one of the great uh, unnecessary problem-filled days what I remember particularly was that they also started in on the Jack's Mannequin guys who were closing the show by telling them that they had to move their drums. Now, all that T-Pain had for his stage setup was a single just table with a tablecloth over it and some kind of probably CDR at that point. I mean, it was not a real mixer. Uh, that was very portable and could easily have been worked within the setup of Jack Mannequin, who was a full band, including a grand piano. So you had all of this. And they went back and forth, and they were arguing over literally trying to push their drums a foot 
T-Pain was always a pain in the ass moving drums. We got the chance to go back to my alma mater, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, where T-Pain was headlining and we were opening. T-Pain could not have cared less that we were there, but his production manager, again, guy who has nothing but a table with a tablecloth and the equivalent of, of, of at the time what would have just been a laptop, was bugging John, you have to move your drums. It had nothing to do with stage setup. It just had to do with we are headlining the show and we want you to know that you need to move your drums because we said so. And the tour manager on all situations was constantly saying, you know, we are dealing with a Grammy-winning artist here. He was constantly referring to T-Pain as a Grammy-winning artist, which is maybe, you know, being generous with history. And it makes me look forward to the day in the near future where you are hopefully not only a Grammy-nominated artist, but also a Grammy-winning artist. And I'm looking forward to telling all of the future bands that we would ever share a stage with to please, please, Move your drums. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that story and the context. And uh, thank you for calling in. If you want to be on the MC Lars podcast and leave a special message, join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash MC Lars. You get the super secret phone number. If you call in and we play your message, I'll send you a free t-shirt. Mike, I know you have a ton, but I'm going to send you a free t-shirt anyway. That's the rules. So next week we have Z from Hipster Please talking a little bit about the history of nerdcore from the uh, perspective of a journalist who was central to promoting it from its inception. So tune into that. Thanks again, Luke, for being on the show. I'll see you all next week. Happy Halloween, everyone. Bye.